Hi, my name is Tom Alston. I'm the founder and CEO of Aeromarine Tax Professionals. Here on the Winning Pitch Broadcast, I'm going to tell you how it is. I'll be sharing the ins and outs of business management, improving your sales skills, building personal and professional wealth, and balancing it all with your personal and family life, excluding the part about balancing it with your personal life. Don't expect a filter because we're about to rustle some feathers. Have fun. Welcome to this edition of the Winning Fish Podcast. This is a nephew of mine. His name is Chris Moore. He is a young dude in his 20s and he has his own winery and he has an incredible reputation. Everyone who I know who is a wine connoisseur who's tasted his product always classifies it an 11 out of 10. So without any pressure, Chris, tell us your story. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for having me on. I've been loving your podcast, so I just want to give the shout out for that. Um, I am 26 years old. You know, we, my wife and I, about a year ago, we started a winery. We did a joint venture with another couple to make it all happen. And we focus on premium red wine. And my background really starts at a young age. I believe I've always had like an entrepreneur spirit in the sense of being able to influence my siblings. Um, At a young age, we'd get some money doing uh, chores around the house. And I would convince my sister and little cousin, I'd really give a whole presentation and pitch and say, hey, let's take our money and put it together to buy this great toy. And it would always end up working out. We would put our money together, buy this toy. And what was cool about it is it benefited not just myself, but them too, because our older brother and older cousins, they would take the five bucks or 10 bucks and go buy a cheap toy and they would play for it for 15 minutes and then it would break or they would throw it away. While we would have this video game or we would stack the money and then invest into a you know PS1 at the time. I think it was like the first PlayStation, stuff like that. And that was at a very, very young age. And then from there, my mom and dad, they always had their own business whether it was in construction or a mortgage broker or flipping homes. And so I got to watch my dad put in 80, 90 hours a week, but at the same time, being able to coach every sport I ever played, whether it was basketball, paintball, uh, baseball. I played four leagues of baseball, winter league, pony league. And so that was always very inspiring, watching my dad work all these hours, but then have the flexibility to say, hey, I'm going to coach both my boys and my daughter in these sports. And so from there, we worked every summer. So we didn't have your normal childhood where, you know, you spent uh, the summer riding your bikes, hanging out with friends. No, we woke up every morning at six in the morning and we worked until four pouring concrete with my grandpa or my dad or digging ditches, picking up rocks. And that, I I hated it. I tell you what, I, I hated it. But I am so thankful and grateful for my parents, my grandparents, my aunt pushing us in that direction because being in the workforce now and seeing the work ethic that really all of us have, but especially myself, um, we shine versus so many others. They can't even show up to work on time. I mean, I can't tell you how hard it is to get people to show up to work on time. And I'm sure some of your listeners might struggle with that also. And having that skill set, those basic skill sets of showing up to work, working really hard, not expecting anything from your employer besides a paycheck. Some of these basic, you know, fundamental things that you have to earn your way. Um, We got taught 
eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old. And then from there, um, you know, I don't have your typical wine background. Most people go to UC Davis, get a degree in bitter culture or fermentation science, enology. For me, I was a DNF student. I stopped going to school when I was 15 and a half, graduated on independent study when I was 16, uh, almost 17 years old. And then I coasted for about a year. And then the social pressure of you got to get a degree or you're going to be a loser. So then I went to community college at 18. And then from there, I started my first job because I didn't have money to pay for that school and I didn't want to get into debt. So I got a full-time job at Woodbridge Winery. And that's when my wine career just exploded. I worked 60 hours graveyard and fell in love with it. Once again, being told you can't be a winemaker without a degree. So I kind of just kept with the job working graveyard 60 hours, 60 hours for about three years, and then working some part-time jobs in between. And then I got in at Boulevard Bistro, which is a high-end French uh, fine dining restaurant in Elk Grove. And that's when everything opened up. I had so many great opportunities. I was able to taste 100 to 200 wines a month, about all the wines around the world, whether it was France, Spain, Italy, uh, Portugal, and Napa, you know, all the great California wines. We were able to taste all, you know, Screaming Eagle, some of these famous brands, able to taste all these great wines um, every week. And so that really grew my wine palate. It just blew it up. I was able to pick up all the different notes in wine, food pairings. A lot of things you don't really learn in the winemaking side until later on is the food pairings and how it, food complements wine. So from there, a winemaker actually came in to the restaurant and it was uh, Todd from Todd Taylor Wines. And I always, I love talking to winemakers whenever they came into the restaurant. And I asked him a question. I'm like, oh, where'd you go to school? And he laughed and he said, I didn't go to school. You know, it's just fermentation, Chris. And that day, that moment, it like hit me right in the heart. And I said, wow, I can be a winemaker. And it's like just listening to someone else's story instantly influenced me to say, I can do this. And so then about a month later, my, so my wife's pregnant at the time. We weren't married yet. So um, girlfriend, pregnant. I'm working at Woodbridge Winery Graveyard and then working at the restaurant. So this winemaker, Jeremy Tredovic and Coral Tredovic, they come in, they own a boutique winery in Lodi. They sit down at table seven in the middle of the restaurant and it's celebrating Coral's birthday. And I started talking to them. I was super corny. I'm like, hey, it's the famous Jeremy. I loved his wines and we were serving his wines at the restaurant. And so it was just really neat to meet him in person. And within 20 minutes, he drops his business card after talking about wines and the winemaking process and he hires me to become his seller master. And uh, I started literally four days later um, and we blew up from there. I worked there for about four and a half years, became the assistant winemaker, did some outside sales, uh, vineyard managing. And then that's when I got approached. Well, no, hang on, I'm gonna take it back because this is where you come in. Actually, Tom, this is where you come in. You, um, you poked at me, it was you and Josh. I can't remember who did it first, but I know both of you, it was within the same week, said, hey, check out this book. Oh, no, hang on. Josh said, read the book of the art of not giving a fuck. That's what it was. So I listened to that book and I said, wow. And mind you, I don't read. So I stopped reading like 15 years old. Unless it was about wine, I didn't read it. And so that was the first book that I actually dove into. And so I loved it. I loved everything the art of not giving a fuck had to say about life and whatnot. And then I said, hey, what else are you listening to? And then 
No, you mentioned 10X. You said, hey, Chris, go listen to 10X Rule because I was talking to you about the book. I said, okay, I'll check it out. And then I heard Josh's enthusiasm about the book. And I said, okay. About I'm, 10X. About 10X. About and 10X. You should let everybody know that Josh is my son. Yeah, yeah. And full yeah. transparency. Okay. Yeah, full go transparency. Ahead. So I listened to the book. And honestly, the first time I went through it, I liked some of the things it had to say, but I thought, okay, this is a little crazy. It just seemed a little over the top, a little intense. His intensity, I liked. I liked his voice and how he brought things about and just how he communicated. His communication skills were great on the book. I love that Grant actually did the audible version because that's what I listened to, by the way, everyone. It was the audible version. And so I thought that was really neat, but just the overall concept of it kind of went over my head. And I remember talking to you and, uh, and Julie, and you guys said, listen to it one more time. And I did. And that's when I, that's when it really hit me. And it was, it kind of opened my whole mindset of what is possible. It really did. And I still had a lot of doubts, you know, cause mind you not having a degree in a industry that really pushes on having a degree. And then, you know, we're obviously not millionaires. So it's like, okay, you're either a millionaire or, you know, you have this degree, you know, to be a winemaker in a sense, or you're a third generation farmer. There's some sort of family influence there. And so I then listened to Ed Milet, Max Out podcast, and he was interviewing Dean. I'm going to butcher the last name. It was like Graziano. He does the, the 10 habits or something with habits book. I, I haven't listened to it yet. I should, but he was interviewing him and Dean told his story. And I kid you not, I got goosebumps listening to that story about how he got started. He had no money and someone then believed in him, gave him some money. They did a big real estate deal. And he just said, all I did was I believed in that I could do it. And he just kept talking about his background and I went home that day. I kid you not. My wife is holding our uh, our daughter, you know, rocking her to sleep. And I said, Candace, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to start a winery this year. I'm going to quit. We're going to start a winery. And she looked at me, big old eyes and said, okay, you got it. And that was it. That was the start. And so within two weeks from there, you know, and it's just, it's crazy when you throw things into the universe. It really is just crazy when you just put it out there and you start to believe it's possible. Two weeks later, Candace, um, someone goes into the restaurant, Hal Bartholomew, which uh, you'll understand who he is in a little bit, drops his business card and says, hey, I want to talk to your husband. I hear he's, uh, you know, making great wines, um, you know, at Jeremy's and like to sit down with him. And prior to that, he dropped his cards for almost two years straight. And I never sat down with him. Okay. So there was a lot of pokes within that two years where a business card was dropped, um, but never gave him the phone call, never really gave him the time of day. So then I said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go sit down with them. So I went into their house, we sat down and he basically had a wine label already. He had a business name, he had everything established and he wanted me to be the winemaker. And so I listened to his whole pitch and everything. And I said, okay, Hey, let me talk to my wife. X, Y, and Z. So I go home and I looked at Candace and I said, this is what they want. And I said, that's not what we're going to do. I said, I'm going to go back and I'm not going to make someone rich again because I've already done that. We've already grew someone else's business. I've already worked the 80 some hours a week. I know I can 
do the work. We've done that. I want to now do it for myself and then make the money that comes with putting in all the work. And so what I did is I came back to them and I had nothing to lose, right? I have this great job, even though I wanted to go to the next level, but I was, I was content. It was easy. I understood it. I was good at it. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we own a house. It fits our family. We were comfortable. So there was no pressure of, okay, if this blows up in our face, we're going to lose. So I, I went all out. I said, hey, I want to own my own brand. The brand is going to be called Christopher Sellers. And, you know, so we changed everything. And they looked at each other after the two hours of pitching. And we went all the details of the how we're going to set it up and X, Y, and Z. And they looked at each other and said, okay, let's do it. And then we wrote a contract. That took a long time to get the contract put in place. But we started, I started managing that vineyard the next week. Um, and so basically the premise of our business is Candace and I, we own Christopher Sellers. We own the brand. I manage the vineyard that's on the property that's in Elk Grove, which is in the Altamesa AVA for all my wine snobs out there. So it's considered the Lodi Appalachian. We're in the Altamesa AVA, um, which is like red, gravelly, uh, sandy loam soil. And so I took over that vineyard. I do all the winemaking. I handle the sales, the marketing. My wife is really the customer service guru. She handles all the emails. She's actually into the techie stuff. And we really make the final blends together. Um, it's a great dynamic between me and her. We did just have our newborn son. So we have three kids. So she's kind of taken a step back. I would say the last six months of the business. And it's really just been me holding on the fort while she's raising our family. And then, you know, she'll probably come back in in a few more years and be more of the duo that we had from the beginning. But, uh, yeah, hopefully that answers the background story. We're making delicious wines and uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, we did get hit with the pandemic. So we, I did the whole construction with my dad in the winery. So I saw cut the ground. We installed all the electrical, the glycol. We did the full build out, spray foam. It took about seven months, made the wines. And then we bottled in January. We opened March 7th of 2020. And then the next day we got hit with the pandemic. Elk Grove Unified shut down. And then about a week later, all of California, you know, Disneyland and, you know, everyone else knows the story from there. As soon as Disneyland and the NBA shut down, it's like the whole world shut down. And so, um, you know, we've been shifting almost our entire business model. We did wine tasting to goes. We did a lot of Zoom um, tastings and that's kind of helped. And really, honestly, all of the wines being sold, word of mouth, people taste the wine and they share it with a friend. And that's been you know, 90% of our sales is through that. So awesome. Thanks for telling me the story. And to my listeners, if you can't tell, he's like this all the time. He's very <laughs> passionate. As long as you stay within subject he likes. If he doesn't like it, he falls back and starts snoring because it's not <laughs> which is a strength, not a weakness, because it's hard to distract him. But uh, let me ask you a couple of questions. Yeah, yeah. What is the biggest mistake you think you've made since you started your own winery? Who good biggest mistake. I mean, there's been so many. <laughs> then um, it doesn't have to be the biggest. Just pick one. <laughs> okay. I would say, um, oh, we should have, one, I, I underestimated how great our partners have been with, the, with our joint venture. And I should have pitched a bigger concept because I think we could have gotten that. 
And I think I was going for, you know, for me, my wife and I, we, we sold our house, Tom, right? We sold our house so we could get capital to then put it. And I was from a small winery that was on a beer budget in a sense. So everything, you know, my whole experience was learning how to make do with very little. Well, with our partners, they have the willingness to put money forth if it makes sense. And I went, you know, very small on some things. And I think looking at the event space that we have now and seeing the money we're putting into the property now, we could have maybe did that in the beginning to speed up cash flow. Also, I bet on influencers at a small space. There's some marketing decisions I made that were pretty uh, way off base. I don't think I was aggressive enough during COVID when it started. I should have jumped on things. I waited for about three weeks and then I jumped on it. And I was trying to figure some things out of like, you know, how long is this going? You know, it started with two weeks and I should have just said, pivot. Um, I mean, like day of March 8th, we were shut down. Okay. We're pivoting all, all in on online. Let's, you know, I'm going to freaking make a video every four or five, you know, times a day kind of thing. And, and really just push that Avenue. Um, some of those things I think would be right out, of, right out of 10 X about estimation of effort. And it's going to take 10 times about the effort. Good. Yeah. Yeah. You read the book. You may not have liked some of the things about it, but when looking well, back, it was true. Yo, no, I, and to you know, to correct you a little bit, the first time I listened to it, I didn't like it. The second time, I fell in love with it. Okay. Um, you know, uh, there's so much. I mean, I was actually just quoting Grant the other day. Of I was talking to uh, my sister's boyfriend, and you know, he's talking about gyms and wanting to do something. And I said, you know, the biggest mistake. I, you know, and here I'm going to answer your question. Now I'm, now I'm telling the story. Biggest mistake I might've made was underestimating the amount of time, you know, it's going to take because right. We thought for sure we were going to grow much faster than we are, but I didn't plan for a fucking pandemic, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, and so it's like, well, you know, sometimes life just punches you in the teeth and you kind of, you know, have to be willing to pivot immediately and say, well, this wasn't my plan, even though we put a year and a half putting it, the plan together. And it just say, trash that whole concept, throw it away and let's roll, let's go. And so has the pandemic been good for you? What's the one positive, what's one positive benefit you've got out of the pandemic? I mean, I would say the positive of the pandemic has been and it's not a business. Uh, there, I would say there's zero positive in the business side. Uh, the, the big positive for me is I would say my wife's and I's marriage is 10 times better than it's been since we, you know, before even dating. I mean, we're, we are very connected. Um, I've got a lot of special time with both of our daughters, Aislinn and Avery. Um, you know, with Damien just being born and things are, our business is really kicking up. I'm not able to spend the same amount of time I spent with the girls when they were first born. But it's, I was just telling actually my dad about this is it's crazy how now at night when he wakes up, I am really willing to get up and rock with him because it's my, it's my time with him. And I'm not, it's funny how the mind plays games with, I'm not tired, but when Aislinn was born or Avery was born in the middle of the night, 
but I had all this time with them in the daytime. So when night came, I'm like, oh, I'm beat. I'm exhausted. I don't want to get up. But with Damien, I'm like volunteering. Oh, Candace, I'll take it. Hey, I'll walk with him for an hour or, you know, I'll burp him or I'll do this. And it's because I'm working so much during the day. I'm not getting that time. And so I, I take advantage of it as much as I can at night. So, but yeah, I would say the benefit is the family. We're, you know, I've never been closer to my wife than we are now. And we're just so close and connected and we're on the same page and actually fighting a thousand times less than we did pre-pandemic, pre-business, you know, so it's, um, it's, that's been great. I, so yeah. Okay. Thanks for telling me that. So if you could go back and tell your eight-year-old self something, what would advice would you give yourself? I would say, do not let society and what society tells you to be your normal. Don't, don't allow that to influence you at all. Because I can't tell you how many times I either had a teacher tell me I was going to be a loser um, or I had, I had, I had one of, one of my mentors tell me I, I don't have the personality for a winemaker, you know? So I've had these people, you know, another person said, uh, you know, I'll, I'll never make anything of myself. You know, I, the amount of stuff I was told at an early age, um, and don't get me wrong. I did a lot of dumb stuff when I was young. Um, but that doesn't always translate to you're going to be a loser or, you know, just because I was terrible in school does not translate into I'm going to be a loser. And so, you know, society will tell you a lot of things and I listened to it for quite a bit. And I would say that was my number one. If I had any regrets, that would be a big one on a personal level of listening to that garbage. Perfect. So I'm going to ask you a question that I know that you've just brought out in all of our listeners. Tell us about one of the dumb things that you did. <laughs> when I was younger? Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't tell me what you did dumb this week. Tell me what you did yeah. when you were nine years old. Yeah. Uh, well, I was a really good kid until I figured out girls when I was 13. I think that's when I got really dumb. Uh, I would sneak out of the house. Go. We lived in the country. Okay. So we had five acres off of uh, Peltier Road. And I would walk five miles to go make out with a girl for 20 minutes and then come back in the house. And uh, then that escalated to much crazier things, whether it was taking a car with my cousin um, before he had his license and we would drive it in the middle of the night. And, you know, and, and they, which one of my sons was that? <laughs> that was that Josh. You're, that you're ratting <laughs> that out. Yeah, yeah, that was Josh. Uh, so yeah, that, he did the same thing. He said, did the same thing with Whitney. <laughs> I found out a couple of years later. So yeah, his, his MO. go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So stuff like that, um, you know, smoke some pot, got drunk, you know, those, you know, it's funny how people, you know, obviously not ideal to do those things, especially in a bad environment, but mm -hmm. you know, people are going to, you know, you're going to do what you're going to do. And it, it's just, uh, you know, I, I get so frustrated when people, once again, society, people, individuals want to put you in a category based on some choices. Cause you, you just, for me, I learned by doing, okay. you know, I, I like listening to others. I've gotten really good now. I would say at listening to someone else's experience and that podcast has really opened that up for me where I can okay. take someone else's experience now and try to apply it to my life where maybe I don't have to go through the same struggle they went through okay. um, in their business or in their life or in their marriage. 
Um, and so I've, I've been better, but when I was younger, the only way I learned anything was by doing. So I had to make the mistake to then say, wow, that was really dumb. Um, shouldn't have done that. Let's now do this. And that was just my way of learning. Right. Okay. So tell me about your experience in high school. Cause I think you told me you dropped out of high school. Why? Why? Um, I, I had a group of friends, um, you know, that we just, we did a lot of stupid stuff. We partied every weekend party. I started partying during the week and it got to the point where I, w- I remember sitting at lunch one day and I like, I can like, it takes me right back to that moment. I'm sitting there. It was a Wednesday and I was so angry because it was the same like deja vu every day. Basically on Monday and Tuesday, all you did was talk about how trashed you got the weekend prior. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you planned how you're going to get trashed the next weekend. And I just, and I, I hated, I couldn't grasp why we're studying some of these subjects. I hated earth science, uh, biology, chemistry, uh, just all of these subjects. I just, everything about it, um, couldn't stand it. And so I just went up to my mom and I said, Hey, I feel like I'm going down a very destructive path and I'm not strong enough. And I remember I was like tearing up. I am not strong enough to say no. I want to go on independent study and get away from everything. And, uh, you know, my dad wasn't very on board at first, but then uh, finally within a week, they said, you know what, this might make a positive impact. And within that week of going on independent study, I mean, I stopped drinking and I was completely sober for what, two years. And, you know, you know, and and then I, you know, started dating again when I was 18 and, you know, I never went back to that, that time, but, you know, did I have a beer or hang out? It was more of a social setting prior to that. It was how fast can I get drunk or how high can I get as fast as possible? Cause I hated alcohol, like the taste. I, I, I didn't even like smoking because I coughed so much. I have asthma. So I'd cough crazy when I'd smoke, but I liked the feeling and the escape. And so I would say now, well, first I love wine. I love beer. I make my own (laughs) beer. I love bourbon, but I don't drink to catch a buzz. Actually, rarely you'll ever see me in truly intoxicated where I'm drunk. You know, I might be, you know, a head change or a buzz rarely, but majority of the time it's like, I just want to, you know, have a few beers or have a glass of wine. And it, I truly do enjoy the products and it, it's so much more, it's more of the experience and the social setting and elevating my, my dining experience more than I'm just, you know, if beer had no alcohol in it, I would still drink it all the time. Cause I love beer, wine, you know, it's just tasty to me. So it's, it's like ice cream, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's my candy of choice. And so, uh, but it's controlled now. And I think that's the big thing is, you know, like I said, you'll rarely see me, you know, to the point where I'm, I'm really drunk. It's just, it's, I don't even actually like being at that state. It's more of uh, just enjoying the beverage in my, you know, social setting. So. Great. Great. So you came to the realization that you needed to get out of high school because the lessons were not teaching you good things. Yeah. Okay. And later on, you decided to go to college. What was the viewpoint shift? So I was dating, uh, I was dating this girl, um, Sarah and her mom was an accountant and, you know, once again, I was working. So prior to working at Woodbridge, I was working at a grocery store. I mean, I had no money. 
And, uh, you know, I thought, well, let, you know, everyone says go to school, go to school. I was watching my graduate, you know, the people I was supposed to graduate with, they were all going, going to go off to college that year. And so I thought, well, you know what, I will, uh, I'll give college a try. You know, I'm at a different mental state now. And I went my, for about a year and I would say there were some things that I actually did enjoy in college. I took a natural resource class that I really loved that. Um, that's why I own a Honda Insight is, uh, because it, 50 miles per gallon, you know, so some of these, uh, little things I picked up from school, I was really good at accounting and speech and debate. So I took a speech, I was top in my speech and debate. And it's not because I was actually naturally talented at speech. Cause I'm, I'm really not. I practiced a thousand times before going up front because I felt like I was going to throw up the thought of giving a speech <laughs> in front of everyone. I felt like I was going to throw up. So I practiced and practiced and practiced until I said, okay, you know, and then I would volunteer to go first. And my teacher always was impressed by that, but I just wanted to go first. So I would, the feeling of throwing up would go away because as soon as I gave my speech, I then sat down and it was like a sense of relief. And I never actually got over that until really until we started, um, until I, until I started doing tours at Jeremy wine company when I was the assistant winemaker over there. I did. I never got very comfortable talking in front of a group of 20. But if it was my friends, I loved being the center of attention and entertaining and, and doing that. But that's the Christopher I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but the uh, the idea of presenting something in a professional or way that always kind of scared me for a long time there. So I, one of the things that I was curious about is when you talked in high school, you said you didn't like the earth science. Now, what connection does earth science have with being a winemaker? Well, with with that specific class of earth science, it was more, uh, I mean, the geography side of things could have played a big role in, in the winemaking with the viticulture side of talking mm -hmm. about the different soil compositions. But I would say, you know, the thing I've, you know, the thing I learned really early on, especially with farming, is every farmer has a specific way of shifting based on the vineyard that they have. And so for me, um, it's more of been learning our vineyard. And I would say, you know, maybe that earth science would have helped understand the basics a little bit more. And then that could have, you know, maybe went into plant science and some of the viticulture studies that you would do in college. But I mean, overall... I mean, there's brand new graduates coming out of UC Davis. And I tell you what, they might know the cellular level of what's going on in fermentation, but winemaking, especially the style I'm making, is so based on the terroir, the, the vintage, the climate. I mean, like this year, we had smoke. Within one week of seeing the smoke, I turned, I made two rosés. We picked everything and made two rosés. And everyone thought I was crazy in the industry for doing that. And then now seeing Camus, Chateau Montalena, all these wineries saying, oh, the fires, the smoke taint, um, we made no red wine. So they had 100% wine loss. I just said, we're going to make rosé, which to, to give you the, the why that's so different is rosé is taking a red grape, making a white wine, and you're not fermenting on the skins. The smoke goes into the skins. And when you ferment on the skins, you're extracting that smoke. And so then it's in your wine and now you're screwed. And so what I did is say, rosé all day, we're going to make a sparkling rosé and a, and so these are some of the things that I've picked up this year that's been a positive of 
learning to move faster and make decisions very quickly when there's a big issue like a fire that's burning the entire California down. And a lot of people may not be aware when we're talking about California burning down, I truly do mean this particular year, there was fires all throughout California and affected the entire California wine industry. Because if this, if your county was not actually burning, the smoke then would blow into the area that wasn't burning, which was the valley, like San Joaquin Valley, you know, where Lodi is, Amador. Um, but then Amador was affected by the El Dorado fire. El Dorado was affected. Sonoma had a fire. Napa had a fire. Santa Cruz had a fire. Monterey had a fire. Paso didn't have a fire, but the fires from Monterey went to Paso's. You know, so these are all the, you know, and if you're not making decisions really fast, you probably lost your entire vintage, you know, and some they have insurance where you're covering that for us, it would have been devastating. So uh, we had to make a decision really fast and I went with the safer route and I know I can sell it because the wine's tasty. So it's going to work either way. I can vouch for that because I almost like rosé wines and I'm not a red wine drinker at all. I'm one of the guys that likes sticky wines as he, as he called. Yeah. So, uh, we have a few minutes left here. If you have a message to give to the entire inhabitants of planet earth, all 7.5 or eight or 9 million billion of them, what would you say? Um, I would say if you want to start your own business, or you want to start anything, uh, one, start believing in yourself, know that you can do it, find a mentor, or listen to some of these books, whether it's 10x, listen to uh, Ed Milet's podcast, uh, Gary Vee has good stuff, find someone that speaks to your heart, you like their message, and, uh, you know, give it a go, go for it, believe, go all in, and don't quit when it gets tough. Um, and don't listen to all the bullshit that everyone tries to feed you because they're wrong. And, uh, you know, and here's the thing, if you fail, it's just going to be a good learning experience, especially, and it doesn't really matter what age you're at. It really doesn't matter. You know, I say, cause I'm young, but you know what, if I was 50, I'd still be doing this because still be taking the chances because you, you, you're so young. Life is so short. You're better off following your passion and what you get excited about versus chasing something uh, for other reasons. Because I'll tell you what, I am wanting to make more money. And that is a goal of mine. Obviously, I want, I want my business to make money. But I am making less money now than I did working for someone else. And my wife working for someone else. We were making less money. But I can tell you this, I'm 100, no, 10,000% happier. I wake up every day fired up to go do my job and talk to people about my products and my wine and talking about farming and doing all the things that I do. And I don't even care if the job sucks. If it's cleaning the floor drains, I'm still pumped because it's my floor drain. And there's something special about that. So follow your dreams, go all in and don't quit when it gets tough. So that's it. Seems to me that you could use that lesson for anything. And I think that's the way that you delivered it. Yeah, no, and you can, you really can. So I've heard some rumors that you're thinking about starting your podcast, and I believe that my listeners, after watching this or listening to this podcast or watching it, because it's available both ways, are going to want to hear that. So I need you to do it. All right. I committed you to it. Yeah. You know, it would be fun. I, I want to get all the pieces right. You know, you're doing it so well, and uh, I love 
how you've executed it so far. I think what I want to do is get all the pieces in order. And uh, if all goes well, I think that would be a lot of fun. And, and what would Grant say about what you just said? <laughs> Commit first and work yeah. on all that stuff later. Just yeah. do it. I mean, the way that it. I learned how to do podcasts and the same way that I've managed to create a little over a thousand videos since the beginning of the pandemic, just do it every day. I try, my target is to create 20 videos a day. Now, I can't do that and run my business by myself, but now I have a video team. In fact, I just hired two more guys to be do nothing for me but video. Wow. It's because I want to do that level of content and I enjoy doing it. So I'm going to tell you again, just start and don't worry about it. Start, upload it to YouTube, send out the links to everybody on your wine club. And you're going to find out that they are listening to you. They love you. They love your products. They love your service and they want more of Christopher. I love it. Well, thank you so much. This is a, this has been a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun. Glad to be on your show. Okay. So uh, that's it for today's podcast. Uh, I enjoy the hell out of it. And I am sure that we're going to kind of want to come back to Chris in a few months to hear about his podcast. Goodbye, brother. See you. Bye. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? I'm invested in your business and personal success. And I hope you found this episode of the podcast insightful. If you or your business is ready to grow, check out my website, 10 Excellence. This is the way that you do that. Number 10, then X-L-E-N-Z.com. Be sure to follow me and send questions on Facebook at Arrow and Marine Tax Professionals and on Twitter and YouTube at Thomas Alston. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on our next episode.